Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Relationship Renovation Podcast with Tara and EJ Kerwin. Hello, everybody. As always, we are so grateful to be here, grateful to our listeners. Thank you for all of your support, all of your five-star reviews. We are overwhelmed by it. And also for reaching out and giving us some really great ideas for future podcasts. Yeah, and today's going to be, Yay, I've been no. actually looking forward to this all week. We've been waiting a while to yeah. have her on. So I'm I'm excited about who's on and I'm excited about what we're talking about. So I'll introduce Christina Piastrini. Hi. How Hi. are you doing, Christina? I'm doing very well. Very happy to be here with you. Very happy you're with us. Uh, Christina is a uh, psychotherapist at our center. Another Um, one of our lovely, lovely clinicians. Yeah, she has a a really interesting background that brought her into sort of the therapeutic world. And so I think I'd rather, if it's okay, can you tell us a little bit about your sort of journey into into gene therapy? Well, I come from the anthropological uh, field and I came to Arizona to work as an anthropologist for several years. And then I decided that I wanted to, I really wish to work with real people rather than just material remains or uh, abstract concepts. And uh, I decided to become a therapist. And I'm very happy about that. I love doing it. And uh, I'm using very much similar systems in conceptualizing people's lives it's working out. What was translatable? Like what went from anthropology to, to psychology? Like what, what sort of linked them together? Well, the common thread is the observation of uh, human uh, behaviors, human systems. Uh, anthropologists takes it from a cultural standpoint or the observation of uh, cultural systems and also biological systems. So something that I really absorbed from anthropology that I'm bringing into my psychotherapy practice is the notion of uh, interacting systems. Mm, which there are many. Yes, and there are many. Interacting systems. Help us, help us understand that a little bit more. Interacting systems, how the natural system, uh, or in the case of humans, would be our genetic predispositions, the limitations of a given environment. I mean, how do we adapt and survive? So we kind of do that because we have uh, innate knowledge that keeps us into adaptation, but also we are using culture and uh, information. Yeah, and that jumped out, like, when you're talking about interacting systems between sort of, like, who you are genetically, what you deal with as far as, you know, growing up and and So epigenetics is basically, is a model of interactive systems. That is a very good example right there. Epigenetics, yeah. Epigenetics, exactly. And then bringing that into, like, when we're working with couples, because you have two individuals, right, that are bringing their own systems, their own cultural pieces, their own environmental influences together. And so that's probably like, what have you found around your work with individual versus couples and the system integration piece? I think couples are way more complex. (laughs) Yes. I mean, you have two individuals, each one bringing personal history, 
personal cultural system, intergenerational system, themes of anxiety, generational experiences in the context of cultural change. Because, uh, I mean, you know, any, anyone who grew up in the 70s has had a different mm-hmm. experience in comparison to, to anyone who is growing up now or anyone who has grown up in the 90s, of course. So you have that, and then you have the relational arena between these two people, mm-hmm. which constitutes a system in itself. Right. Why is it that is that a system in itself? Because it would not exist if you did not have two individuals interacting in a dyadic manner. And I think that's some of like what some of our best work that we do with couples. Like sometimes when they come in and present for a session, they just feel like it's the other person and they have a hard time recognizing that there's this system that they've built with a lot of complex factors. And when we really help them understand and when you're bringing kind of your own intellectual component into this from the anthropological sciences, it's like, whoa, it just, it's so different. And it takes them out of this just realm of like the two of us are suffering and wow, look at all of this other stuff that we've brought in and if we can understand it better and then somehow try to meet in the middle and make them unite so the system can function as a whole-ish. <laughs> the system can function as a whole. Right. Yes, exactly. And then, uh, I mean, therapy itself brings in another system. Exactly. I mean, another uh, level of discourse. Yep. And uh, at times, substances mm-hmm. bring in another system, which is the chemical, basically. Right. Yeah. So there are so many systems stuck up and combined into making what is the experience of a couple. Yeah. Well, and then for today, so this podcast is very different today because it's actually around a different system we bring in with our family pets. Yeah. Yeah. So Christina came to us with the idea. She's like, why don't we talk about pets and how they sort of fold into people's lives and relationships and maybe families? What made you think of that, Christina? Like, why was that something that you thought would be, you know, valuable to talk about? Well, it is not a surprise that pets are so close to us. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us have pets. So all of this is knowledge that exists in the back of our minds. But what brought it up into the forefront of my attention is I counseled several couples who have uh, experienced the death of a pet. Mm -hmm. And this event had brought to a destabilization of uh, the system with grief, uh, with increase of anxiety, some emotional disconnect. Uh, So I realized that there is not much literature that addresses this particular uh, issue. And I also realized how important pets are, you know, the type of function that the several functions that pets fulfill within the family system. And those are very, very important functions. I love that you brought this idea to us because I never would have thought of it. And then once you did, I started thinking about it. And really, because we have two dogs and two cats and four kids, so there's 10 of us in the house, really. But I 
I was like, wow, yes, they bring us so much love. They bring us so much comfort. They bring us protection. They bring us safety. And like, what happens if one passes? Like that there is this grief that it's like losing one of our family members. And if they bring all of these different systems or components like safety, protection, love, cuddling, snuggling, attachment, and then they leave and that we don't understand like how that can affect the system, I could see how people would disconnect, get really confused, and just feel a great sense of loss. So thank you for this idea, Christina. It is very impactful. And I think for our listeners, it's going to be very, very impactful too. Maybe like a good like launching point is like, why have humans done that? Like, why have we brought animals into our houses, right? I mean, traditionally, I assume like animals were out, right? They were, you know, for food and, you know, maybe they had some utility, but why did we bring animals into our houses? Well, that's, uh, that's a very interesting point. Why? Because mammals are uh, wired in very similar ways. They respond to very similar stimuli, Mm -hmm. respond to very similar systems of communication, and uh, it's, it's very easy for humans to interact and receive uh, very gratifying responses from animals, from mm-hmm. pets, mm-hmm. mammals, especially dogs and cats and, you know, dolphins, whatever. But when it comes to the average family, it is usually dogs and cats. Mm-hmm. I mean, they just sneak in because in many ways we are wired the same way. And uh, they respond to us and we respond to them. And then there has been the whole phase of domestication where humans have purposely bred mm-hmm. characteristics that made pets more responsive, more uh, easy to live with, mm-hmm. uh, more nurturing. I mean, th- those are all qualities that we as humans wanted to interact with. Yeah, more like us, right? Like that that as as they've been domesticated, you know, originally they sort of like just, they helped support our existence, but eventually they became accustomed to like interacting with us in a way that that I assume they, especially dogs, like that they evolved towards, you know, sort of developing human characteristics, right? Well, they already have human characteristics. I mean, uh, in, in the sense that, you know, even in wolves, there are mm-hmm. major systems that are very similar to humans. Similarities in neurobiology. So wolves, dogs, mammals in general are uh, do care for the young for a long time. Mm-hmm. They breastfeed. Their brains are very similar to human brains. They basically respond to survive systems and uh, the stress response system and thrive system with the social response system in, in ways that are very similar to humans. I know for me, like, you know, the dogs in my life over the year, th- there's there's a certain amount of, like, security. Like, even though our dogs drive us crazy sometimes when they're, like, barking or, or whatever, but there's something about having the dogs in the house also that make us feel more safe, you know? 
Sure, and sometimes it can be an illusion. I mean, if someone walked into my house, I don't believe that my dogs would be able to defend yeah. me, but they would certainly make a lot of noise. Deterrent. Yes. <laughs> they look scary, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Until they don't, yeah. they start licking you. <laughs> yeah. I know also, like, when you were saying that about, there was something, I just had this image of when we brought our twins home, and I remember, like, our dogs, like, or it was our dog at that point. Bobo, was, yeah. We just had Bo at that point. He was like really protective right away. Like he right went up and away. Like smelled them, kind of, I mean, like and seamlessly if, integrated them into our lives. And if there was a stranger that came, like he would literally go right where the twins were because they were babies, infants, they couldn't walk. And he would just make sure they were protected. It was amazing. Because yeah. at first I was nervous. Like how is Bo going to respond to these two little colicky babies and he responded with like this very like paternal instinct almost yeah, yeah that was cool i remember that's that wonderful yeah so you know we we always kind of do our best to weave whatever topic that we have here into relationship you know whether that's two individuals or a family structure right and so what do we think like what's the role that animals domesticated animals play like in our families what do we get, like Tara? Like, what do you get out of having Benny and Bobo and what are our cats' names again? <laughs> what are, Indian Doc. Indian Doc. Sorry, on. they're like tertiary. Uh, for me, it feels like loving connection and just adds to our family. I mean, if I could have goats, and I would, <laughs> I'd have a whole farm. I, but for me, it just brings connection almost like community and just this feel-good, loving energy that our kids will remember always with our family pets, like just something very nostalgic. And, you know, my whole family, my grandparents, they all each had a horse for their kids. Horses would walk through the home. <laughs> like we just, and my grandpa always had a dog. Like I've just, I was always from that and cats on the kitchen table. Like I try yeah. not to do that, but for me, it just feels very similar to like my own childhood growing up. And it was just always a part of that. And it's interesting too, because I'll have friends that are, you know, from different cultures where dogs or domesticated animals aren't a thing. And they get very uncomfortable around in our home where there's cats and dogs. And I'll try to like, just be really curious because like maybe in their culture, like they're seen as dirty Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like, yeah, like it's just so different. I always explore that when I have a, a friend that's from um, a very different cultural background where domesticated animals are not a thing. I'm thinking more of the Persian culture right now with my one of my best friends. Yeah. Do you think it's just woven into our social norms that like you just having a pet is just a part of the family? It's just something you do, you know, that sort of fills in the gaps? Fill in the gaps. I mean, animals... Uh, from an attachment perspective, animals, I mean, your pets will give pretty much constant, unconditional, uh, reassuring attachment, love. They will be present throughout family changes, mm -hmm. processes of uh, disruption, uh, relocations, divorce. 
other, you know, events that produce disruption and grief. So animals are are constant. constant, Yeah, they're less likely in a time of like sort of stress or or destabilization. They're not reactive. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're not going to like become anxious in their attachment or avoidant in their attachment. They're going to love you and want your attention and want to be connected to you no matter what. Sure. I mean, from an attachment perspective, Pets have an incredible ability to provide uh, important self-object needs, Mm -hmm. such as cohesion, self-esteem, calmness, soothing, acceptance. That is, I can't tell you, Christina, like, so we do genograms and Mm -hmm. and life timelines of everybody. And when I'm talking to an individual of a couple or just an individual, like, Hey, like, how did you, especially someone who's got a pretty like disorganized, chaotic background where there might be trauma, like, how did you cope? And I can't tell you how many times I've heard, I just hung out with my cat or I hung out with my dog, like that they created that object safety relationship for a young child. Yeah. And it's a very important presence. And then again, I mean, it's not just, uh, I mean, the, that contact is actually beneficial. It kind of uh, stimulates the production of the good hormones, mm-hmm. which are good for, uh, make you feel good and are also good for your health. Yeah, like instead of feeling alone or isolated mm-hmm. in difficult moments, you've got this little furry thing that feels comforting and and loving and connecting. All right. So how many couples have we had, Tara, over the years who one member of the couple will say, I'm envious of the dog. Like, I wish that I got the attention that the dog gets in the house, right? Like, I can't even count on one hand. We have so many. Like, Like, every time I come home. They get jealous of the attention. And I I try to explain that dogs and cats are so much less complex than humans. Yeah, the (laughs) relationship is less. Yes. Yeah, we do though. We have to like sometimes process like jealousy of attention that like one of our pets might be getting, but it can go into some really good like material. Like, okay, let's talk about levels of affection. And, you know, if you're jealous of your dog, like we got to talk about that. Also, animals have the capacity of uh, facilitate social interactions. I mean, you take a dog Mm. for a walk. How often does that happen that people come and talk to you Mm -hmm. just because they notice the dog or they say hello to the dog? It's a way to connect. It is a way to connect. Yes. It's a safe place to be. And I think there's also that, I don't know if it's an assumption, but like, I can't tell you, this is more movies I'm coming from, but like a male per se will be like, I'm going to go get a puppy so I can pick up some chicks. (laughs) Yeah, but like that idea of like a person who has animals is like the softer, kinder, more gentle soul. Isn't that interesting? It's like we we apply traits to humans that have pets. Apparently, it is a correct way. I mean, it's not inappropriate to um, to expect that a person with a pet is actually a kinder person. Mm-hmm. Research indicates that people who own Pets practice more empathy, Ooh. are more capable of establishing uh, relationships, have uh, more developed ways of uh, nurturing and uh, forming attachments. So the guy or the woman with the dog 
who are very dedicated to their pets are not doing so because they have failed their attempts to form human connections. Not at all. I definitely think from my uh, early adulthood, I had a dog and I felt like it was like almost my training in being a parent in a lot of way of like having to be responsible for something other than myself for the first time. You know, like I think I was talking to you about it, Christina, like having to come home, you know, that you just can't stay out all night because, you know, you have that dog at home that, that needs to be taken care of or dealing with somebody doing something that's against you, what you want, you know, like, again, I had this dog who like, it was when I was really kind of tight on money in my early 20s. And I had like one loaf of bread left and my paycheck wasn't and and the dog ate the entire <laughs> loaf of bread, you know, and having to deal with that, like, oh, okay, it's just I don't a dog. eat your dog food. How dare you eat my bread? <laughs> exactly. But yeah, it's just like, it's, it teaches, you know, I, I get that empathetic thing. It teaches you that like, you know, you, you have to care for other things. You know, and in like, a couple, you also learn how to cooperate. Exactly. I mean, you do put in practice your parental uh, capabilities, even before you have a child. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my couples, and I asked them if I could uh, talk about their experience, they realize that they can actually think about having a child following an experience in which they had to care for a puppy who had uh, some uh, serious health problems. And uh, that was at the beginning uh, of their relationship. Mm -hmm. And they kind of got to know one another in uh, this process of together taking care of the puppy. They went as far as establishing how much of their finances, I mean, mm-hmm. they they were both willing to share the expenses of the vet. They were both willing to take turns into taking care of the puppy. They cooperated. And that was an experience that really strengthened their relationship, mm-hmm. fostered an enormous amount of trust, yeah, absolutely. Because they saw one another in action in very caring and responsible ways. Yeah. And uh, in some ways provided uh, a concrete platform for them to develop aspirations such as, you know what, maybe we should stay together, get married and have children. Wow. Yeah, because wow. we saw one another in action. That yeah. was not an easy thing. We had to spend yeah. money. We had to arrange our schedules. And it all worked very well. They built confidence in their relationship by caring for like a special needs dog, being really um, united in that front. And then that confidence that they could work together during a difficult time, like really helped them kind of have that confidence, like we could do this in the future and maybe do this with a human. Yes, (laughs) And kind of make them more attractive to one another. They really appreciated and admired those traits. Yeah, they saw aspects of each other that they might not have otherwise seen. Exactly. Well, you know what's interesting? This reminds me of another couple that I had. This was a long time ago. She really, really, really wanted a dog. She had always grown up with dogs. She was from the Midwest. He was kind of like a curmudgeon, like, I don't want dogs. I don't want dog here. I like to have my freedom. I don't want it. And so his thing was like, if you want a dog, you're going to have to clean up all the poop. You're going to have to feed it. 
I don't want anything to do with it. And that is exactly how it showed up in their couple's relationship too around her own emotional needs. He was not willing to go outside of his comfort zone. And unfortunately they didn't work out, you know, but it took them some years. But I'm just like, I just remember that. Like, yeah, he was like, that's all on you. Like not willing to give himself into her needs even a little bit around having a puppy. I mean, uh, yeah, that makes you wonder how is he going to be as a father? I mean, what's going to happen if uh, other uh, units are brought into the family system? Um, And guys, how often really do we think of pets having such significant roles in our relationships and with ourselves? All right, so I've been waiting for this all week. So can we talk about our dog, Benny? (laughs) We can, Christina. Christina, will you be our therapist right now? Absolutely, okay. yes. Okay, you guys get to hear a little of uh, pet I, therapy. Can I set this up? I think so. Okay, so a few summers ago. so A I, few summers ago, two summers ago, honey. Two summers ago. COVID I, summer, 2020. I had to go um, the boys camp that I helped run in uh, in Maine. I had to go the entire summer by myself, and Tara had to stay home with the kids because of the whole COVID thing. And one of my the last things I said as I walked out the door for three months was like, Tara, Please don't get another dog while we're gone. <laughs> while I'm gone, our please kids don't. Wanted to get another please puppy. don't get another dog. And Tara, <laughs> what happened? <laughs> well, we heard about like a little break into this pet store, and we were at the park one day. It was just me, the twins, and our older dog Bo. And this one neighbor was talking about that this pet store got broken into, and they stole all of these puppies. And that there were a few puppies left and the owners, the glass was broken. They had to like basically adopt these puppies out in order to shut their little pet store down for a little bit to rebuild it. And I was like, okay, we're just going to go. We're just going to go <laughs> there. We're just going to check Sounds it like out. Sounds like a Disney movie. And then on the way over, my little son Jojo was like, mommy, what should we name the dog we get? And I'm like, well, we don't even know if we're going to get a dog. But somehow we came up with the name Benny before we even walk into this, you know, broken pet store that had been robbed. And That's interesting. It was. And so we walk in and we just saw there was literally like a litter of these three puppies that were, they looked very not approachable. Like they just were yapping. And I was like, oh God, no, no, no. And then this woman brought out little Benny. He must've been like eight pounds at the time. And he had these long floppy ears and he looked like a Benny. And we saw him and we literally had him in our lap in the car ride home 30 minutes later. Yes. And there was our Benny. And now he's like 80 pounds. And Benny and Benny is my nemesis. And Benny is like a little human that wants to be loved all oh the time. God. And he has very poor boundaries. We call and, him Benny, Benny, bad boundaries. But he is the most but, snuggly, cuddly, loving, He barked at neurotic. me for two weeks straight when I returned really? from camp. He barked at me like two he, weeks straight. He knew that you didn't accept him. So honey. how did you find out that there was a dog, a new <sighs> dog in the household? I think she... I, it was like the I think 4th of July weekend. Yeah, I think you, you, she just sent me a picture of him. And how can you resist this? Cuteness? I mean, he was super cute, and so that was. Did I you think, see that coming? I d- well, yes. Kind just of knowing Tara, she's yes. yeah. She, I knew she was kind of looking for a distraction. I was gone. It was a tough summer, so I wasn't entirely surprised. But now that I'm thinking about it, it like it laid my groundwork for my relationship with Benny in some ways because 
I didn't make the choice, right? Like I didn't say like, oh, I want this dog. And so it sort of like, it's originated my sort of like struggle with powerlessness with Benny. Because also Benny is like, as I described earlier, he is incorrigible. He does not learn lessons. And so <laughs> he makes me feel powerless. And then oh. our, you know, the way in which he came into our life, I felt powerless. powerless. And he like, I really have to work to like Benny. And I, it's like, I love Benny. Cause like this morning I got back from the gym and I gave him a little hug and, you know, gave him a kiss. And so I love Benny, but I don't always like Benny. Mm -hmm. well, yeah. And when I'm giving Benny attention, Christina, listen to this. Uh, EJ gets super jealous. I get a little he, like, jealous of the physical attention. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not going to not hug and love on my dogs <laughs> because my husband gets triggered. <laughs> Well, well, we Benny, gotta talk about that, EJ. But Benny doesn't have good behavior. Benny's like eats kids' sandwiches and he's still a little binges on stuff and pukes all over the place. Oh, good. We gotta love <laughs> so him, accept him for who he is. So Christina, he's a little bit us. of the black sheep in the family. He maybe. yes, yes. Benny's the black sheep. Benny is the black sheep and he black is. dog huh. with little golden ears. He's yes. so cute. Okay, sorry. Yes. Interesting. And you are not jealous of Boo. Right. I'm not jealous of Bo at all. Bo's my guy, man. I Bo's got great boundaries. He's responsive. If you're like, hey, Bo, don't do that. He remembers. He's mellow. He's a cool guy. So hold on. I'm gonna this I just had an epiphany. Mm -hmm. yes. Okay, EJ. So what that reminds me of is judgment that because Bo feels more simple and he meets your needs and he's like easier, that you can deal with that. But when you have something more complex or somebody that's a little more anxious or neurotic, that's more difficult for you to handle like me, right? At times. Yeah, yeah. And you, I used to feel that judgment from you around like, why can't you just be more calm and chill? Well, that's just not me. And that you have a really hard time being okay with that. Yes. Sorry. It just see how no. we can relate your yep. uncomfortableness with Benny to even my, how you would deal with my anxiety. Yeah. Three, so three months ago, I took Benny for a walk and he was acting like a total psycho every time we passed another, <laughs> another dog. And I, and I looked at him, I said, and cause he was like yanking me and I was like, Benny, who do you think is in charge here? <laughs> and then I was like, oh my God, like he's just completely confronting me with like, I want to be in charge. I want to control the situation. Mm -hmm. I don't like when people are like, you know, this is my time. Why can't it be mellow? And you're right Tara. It's the same Thank thing. You. Like. I struggle sometimes when like if your anxiety is coming up and like I'm having like a mellow morning and then your anxiety is sort of like intrudes upon that, I have to be very aware to not be judgmental of it. Benny, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> thank you for teaching EJ yes. how to be loving and accepting so and unconditional, I, so even in to, your own neuroses. So do I have to stop judging Benny in order to- You need to, to work on yourself and be curious about your feelings towards Benny, which would then relate to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Benny's lovable, even oh, within his uh, neuroses, uh, even within his uh, disrespect yeah. for- uh, He is lovable. So instead of focusing, this is so great, Christina, Instead of focusing how Benny, aka, or our partner keeps doing these things that annoy us, what makes us love them? What makes them lovable? Exactly. It's totally Maybe he's more lovable precisely because he's uh, disrespectful, rebellious, 
a thief. Mm-hmm. Is that possible? That's a hard sell for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, better start working on it. We're going to follow up this podcast. I'm working on it. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. I like Benny. And Benny is a good guy. Like He's, he's just being himself. He is. He is. He's just himself. Being himself. You know? and, and like, I mean, here, you know, one of the things, though, about like pets is like once you have them, you got like 10, 15 years with them. And so it is like a person in your household that it is another personality. It's part of to, your life yeah. for a while. Because yeah. yes. think about this. Okay, here's a total other thing from ours. So our cats which are like the most independent cats in the world, like did not interact with us for like two years. At least. And Tara like, was like, I don't like those cats. I want to get rid of those cats. Oh They're my like, God. And, oh my gosh. And it, took them, it totally triggered all of your abandonment. I'm not important. Oh my those gosh. Those cats could give so a crap about you for two years. But then now... Now they're like little cuddle muffins. Yeah, it took them two years. You're right, to, honey. They didn't. They weren't fulfilling my needs. They so were not I, meeting your needs. You guys, this is like a massive therapy session while we're doing our podcast. Like literally, this is all coming out for me right now. Well, this is like this a is, whole thing, right? Yeah. Like equine therapy, and there are you know what is it? What are they called? Like animals that are certified to help people. Therapy. Companion therapy animals. Therapy, therapy dogs, animals. Therapy, yeah. I mean, all of that. I mean, it's definitely beyond just domestication at this point. Where like well, animals do have some sort of therapeutic. You know, our relationship with them has a lot of information. It's very in complex. It. There, yes, there is a lot of information. There are a lot of processes. Uh, again, systems. I mean, they kind of interact with your uh, neurophysiological system. I mean, right. they release uh, hormonal responses, uh, neurotransmitters mm-hmm. responses. Mm-hmm. And that's also what you do with the dogs. I mean, this is an interactive process. And just imagine that first time when we, even if it's yours or not yours, when you see a little itty bitty puppy or a little itty bitty kitty, and they're like the cutest things in the world. And, you know, they're still cute when they get bigger, but there's something about whatever hormones happen when you see this little itty bitty ball of fur. You're just like, it's kind of like when we see a baby. It's like, it's so so interesting. And then they grow up and they're not as cute anymore. Then they grow up and they're not as cute. But then there is this capacity to make symbols. I mean, my own dogs are two demons, and I kind of, I get a kick out of it, you know. One keeps on biting me. I mean, they are really difficult dogs. They are not nurturing at all times. Now I kind of like this, uh, you know, I like this kind of rebelliousness. Their indifference to your needs. Disrespect (laughs) for my authority, indifference to my need. Capacity to find the worst possible uh, uh, outcome out of any situation. And, you know, I I kind of uh, appreciate this uh, kind of demonic, rebellious, uh, you know, aspect of them. Uh, I find them adorable at this point. I mean, I understand that not everyone could do that. But there is something adaptive and something... uh, Adaptive is a good Cute, Mm -hmm. yes. It's interesting when you were talking about like the cuddly animal, I was just thinking like how our relationship with animals or, you know, I guess with any sort of stimulus that like when we, our partner in us can have such different reactions to it. Cause when you're saying like, oh, I see a puppy and I just think of how cute and cuddly. And to me, I think of like 15 years of a commitment. (laughs) 
Like mm. that's the first thing that comes into my mind when, cause you, you brought up like getting another animal like a month ago. And I was like, well, first of all, like we have like freaking like how many living beings in our house? Like 10. F- 10. And I was like, isn't that enough? And so for me, it's like an animal is like a commitment. Could you say this is a similar reaction to having children? I mean, uh, is that a cliche? I mean, usually, I mean, from an anthropological standpoint, women are the ones who bring forth and impose this Mm. uh, project of children. So women uh, tend to see that kind of uh, nurturing response yeah, whereas men may be a little bit more detached and uh, see that as uh, from a very practical standpoint how that is going to look like in terms of uh, investment sacrifices i mean can one make a comparison is it still valid right i think so i mean it's because it's not that i don't love them but it's just that, like, I know once I commit to something, I just know how I am, that I'm committed. Like, if that dog comes into the house... You'd be responsible I'm, for it. I'm going to be responsible till the day it dies, whatever happens. Good, bad, ugly, it might drive me crazy. Like, I know I'm going to commit myself to that. And to me, that comes with a lot of weight, I guess. And with yeah. Tara, I think it's just like, it's that nurture piece where she's just like, I just want to love this thing and it's going to bring more like amazingness into our life. And so. I know it, it is. And well, and I think that's a good, because I know one of the things Christina really wanted to talk about too, is just like when we lose a pet and mm. how that we, like, we don't give enough attention to like the grief. And I know like in my years of working with people, they'll feel like embarrassed, like, oh, I know I'm really emotional, but like my cat just passed away or my dog. And I normalize like, no, like losing a pet is like losing a family member. Don't minimize it. Don't feel shame about it and like help them go deeper. But Christina, how do you approach when you're like working with these couples and loss of a pet has been significant and has really destabilized, like you said, how do you go about working through that grief with a couple or with an individual? I help them recognize that this is a great loss As you say, similar to the loss of a person, a close Mm -hmm. member of the family, maybe even a child. So I tend to validate their feelings and uh, help them understand the gravity of the event. And uh, that's it. I mean, help them find words, you know, name feelings and undergo a a process of grief. What an interesting thing just harkens back to something you said earlier about the information it offers that couple that you talked about, about they went through the the experience of having a pet and they learned so much about each other and seeing your partner go through grief, you know, and, and seeing how different people feel it, you know, and how different people are willing to be in it and other people are, are avoidant of it. Well, also there, there are other uh, functions that are now missing when, when the pet is gone. I mean, uh, the capacity to mm. buffer anxiety. Oh, that's huge. Yeah. Because of the soothing that an animal, a pet can give us. And then we lose someone and we go home and just everything feels different. Empty. Empty. Yeah. Yeah. Unbuffered. Mm-hmm. 
I wonder what the percentage yeah. of people who, when their pet dies, get another pet to replace it within like six months. It's got to be like incredibly high, right? Oh, that's an interesting. That I don't know. That's interesting. Well, I mean, yeah. there are, you know, a pet fulfills so many important functions. I mean, are they getting the pet because it's going to restabilize the couple's or family system? Mm-hmm. Are they getting a pet because it is helping them feel loved and all the benefits from uh, your good hormones, good interactions and everything else? But certainly, I mean, having a pet in the family is an incredible, again, buffer against anxiety. It's uh, an element that unites people. There are little rituals, take the dog out for a walk, uh, talking to the dog, uh, talking from the dog's standpoint. At times, how many of us fake like, you know, we are giving voice to the dog and saying little cute things. Yes. So, I mean, all of these are very important things and each of these processes can be of incredible support for a couple and a family. Absolutely. For, I mean, just, you know, our hope from this podcast is like, just like we, you know, we're always striving here to help individuals become their best selves together if it's in a coupleship and also bringing in like animals and our pets and how they can teach us so many things and all the things that they do give to us and how we can grow by really understanding and digging deeper about us and our relationship with them. I mean, I've just had a few aha moments in this last 40 minutes. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Just we sort of took this out of the box and I could feel like this podcast like gained momentum as we went on. What was interesting was like when we started personalizing it, when, when all of us started talking about our animals is when it like, God, there's like, there was, there was just like so much information and it was so heartfelt Mm -hmm. that, that our relationships with our animals really get us on a heart level, you know, and we couples spend so much time up in their head Right. Yeah. And, and that, that the way we talked about it, once we sort of like got a sense of momentum was everything was from our heart and the way yeah. we feel, you know, and I think that might be another just like amazing gift that animals give us is they don't access our frontal lobe, you know, they access our heart, you know, and that's true. Just- yes. And how can we generalize that to our partners? <laughs> yeah. Accessing our heart more to our partner, like we do our animal, yeah. our pet. So go out and don't tell your partner um, that you're getting the dog and get one and it will, <laughs> it will take highlight you, some of those. It will uh, take you through hell first and then it will bring you together. Well, Christina, thank you for a, for the wisdom you bring here as a clinician and to the work you do with individuals and couples and for bringing in this idea of a podcast around our relationship with the pets because it's fulfilling and there's so much to it. We could talk for hours about this. We should let clients come in with their pets. Oh, yeah. We, oh, we've had we've that had, before. I've had a number of people over the mm-hmm. years bring pets in. Yeah. we And we sometimes when we have to bring our dogs in, we'll let, because some people, rare, they're allergic. We just have to, like, when we have our dogs in here, we have to call clients to make sure that it's okay. Benny's been in a few sessions. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he has. <laughs> All, All right. right. Well, thank you again, Christina. This has My been really fun. It's always fun to talk to you. Here, thank definitely you. here, but Something just anytime here. we talk, it's it's super enjoyable. Something here. Very wise person. And so 
let those pets teach us some life lessons about ourselves and in our relationship and keep loving on them. So please, you know, follow us on Instagram. We are at relationship underscore renovation. You can like us on Facebook at he said, she said counseling, or you can search for relationship renovation on Facebook. And don't forget to also check us out on TikTok. We are Relationship Renovation. And if you have questions or feedback, send us an email at info at he said, she said counseling.com. Yeah. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Yes. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Me and you just singing on the train. Me and you listening to the rain. Me and you, we are the same. Me and you have all the fame. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.